1: Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Dimerellis. This is the show we ask you, what's your story and what does it say about you? And On the show today, we have a former radio host for Hobart, former Australian-representing touch footy player, mother of four, and basically an all-round athlete if that's right.
2: How dare you! <sighs> I said, I said former athlete. I didn't expect you to shorten it to fat although though that's probably quite accurate, George. I'm 20 kgs heavier now than I was back in the day, so thank you for that lovely intro. I'm
1: going to clarify that I was <laughs> told to say that. I was pressured to. I didn't want to do it. Alison Plath. Did I say your name, Alison Plath? I don't think I even said your name. Did I say your name? No, I don't think you did. Call me Al
2: or Ali. If you call me Alison, I feel like I'm in some kind of trouble. So Yeah,
1: Three syllable names are perfect for telling people off, I think, more so than anything else. Alison, like I said, it needs yes. three syllables to really you know. Rebecca. But <laughs> well, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. That's no stress. How many how old are your kids?
2: Okay. Well, there's a story in itself. So my eldest, now I'll pre-warn you, here's where you sound shocked, okay, when I tell you how old my eldest child is. She's twenty-seven.
1: Wow. Oh, I'm impressed. Yeah, thank you.
2: Maybe a little bit more shocked. <laughs> Thanks, George, seeing how you're looking at me down the camera. So I'm shocked. my eldest is 27. Amazing. <laughs> thank you. My son is 26. And then round two with my uh, my daughters are 13 and 14. So, But, yeah, I was I was really young when I had my first two kids. I was just off 19 when I had my daughter and then just off 20 when I had my son. Having them that young and out of wedlock actually got me kicked out of the Mormon Church, excommunicated. Thanks for coming. See you later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't believe how much we've got already. So I'm talking to an ex Mormon Church goer.
2: Yes, all the exes. That's right. Former radio announcer, former fat lead, as you point it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, former Mormon.
1: Former Mormon. That's a fun word to say. Former Mormon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the two eldest. Uh, so you're looking after the younger two. The two elder ones. You're probably not stuck with.
2: Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I had a big gap. So when my son, who's my second child, when he finished year 12, the very next year, my next child started
1: prep. Oh, you suck like you. You just mm. love driving to school.
2: That's it. I'm still going. I didn't even give myself one year off school lunches. What the f- was I thinking?
1: That is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the comfort of never experiencing it.
2: Uh, I can tell uh. you When when my baby, who she's got five years of schooling to go, when she finishes, no shit, there is going to be the massivest celebration you can imagine ever.
1: Unless you have a kid, like, today.
2: Yeah, true. I'm thinking about backing it up again.
1: Round three, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Let it roll, I say. It's a very common thing, though. Like, the first one, the first batch, and then I've made some mistakes and I've learned some lessons, and now I'm ready for round two, 12 years later.
2: Well, that's exactly right. Well, full disclosure, different dads.
1: Oh, I Yeah.
2: you Did figure that. I just thought, you know, maybe you were having one of those moments where you thought I was really weird and went back 13 years later with the same person.
1: No, two again with the same person that would be a story of its own. I don't know yes. what that would be. Yeah.
2: yeah, I don't know either. I are in contraception,
1: maybe. And then, and then you're like, oh, I'll make a sibling, I've <laughs> screwed up once, we'll give him a sibling. Yes, no, that would not happen.
2: Yeah, so there you go. Wow, wow. too much information already for you.
1: No, I love it. Yeah, I'm sure we can tie that into stuff as well as we go along. Did you? <laughs> I'm sure there's lots, you're a multifaceted being with lots of stuff, the radio stuff. I just want to ask about that Mormon thing a little bit more because did you, did you leave before the kids or did you leave after the kids or?
2: So what happened was, so yeah, I was born into the church. So fully indoctrinated, you know, I don't know if you know much about that religion, but it's, it's not like other religions where you're going twice a year at Easter and Christmas. I mean, it is full on. You're there every Sunday. You're going to youth group every Tuesday. You are going to a seminary, it's called, before high school and doing Bible study. It's all encompassing. You're praying before all of your meals. You know, you, you're basically, yes, so indoctrinated, and but you're mm. still living in the real world. I mean, at primary school, it was like our family was weird because no other kids at the school were Mormons. So all of your friends are not Mormons. So of course, eventually, as you're going through high school and watching all your friends having a drink and doing this and doing that, you kind of start to see the light, for want of a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. So I actually uh, ended up falling pregnant and uh, to Jesse and Jake's dad, Mark, who is a wonderful person, but he was a schoolmate. So... What happened was after I had my daughter, because obviously being a member of the church, you're just basically using the denial method of contraception. You're just pretending that it's not happening, la, 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 you know, thinking.
1: Are you just not allowed to do any?
2: No. Oh, absolutely not. So you're thinking that you're going to hell. You know, (laughs) it's not really conducive to probably what the whole scenario of happy times and making love is supposed to be. You know, you're sitting there thinking I'm going to hell. But, yeah, you've got a lot of conflict going on all your hormones running through you when you're at that age. So, yeah, I fell pregnant with Jess. And then after I had her, you get called into what's called a church council, which is basically their version of, I don't know, kangaroo court, whatever. So, here you go. You're going into church council and the bishop of the church says to you, you know, do you repent and all the rest of it? And there's a lot more to it than that. And I'm like, yes, 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 I repent. I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. (laughs) (laughs) 13 and a half months later, I had my son. And they, <laughs> like you didn't waste any time. <laughs> I did. Well, okay, very quickly. I went to the doctor after I had my daughter and said, okay, I better get on some contraception. He said, go and get the pill. Wait until your next cycle. Sorry, everyone, but yes. And uh, that never came. I pre- fell pregnant in between him saying, go and get on the pill. <laughs>
1: You are just, <laughs> you're just insatiable. They, the church never stood a chance of holding on to you by the side of it. You <laughs> were a lost course very early on.
2: 100 so, yes, needless to say, I was invited back for the second church council and I just thought I, I'm not interested in going. And then they sent me a letter in the mail telling me that I'd been excommunicated from this church that I'd grown up in and had all this, you know, it was totally indoctrinated into to an extent, <laughs> not enough <about laughs> to keep uh, to behave, yeah. you know, under their guidelines. But yeah, they excommunicated me via a letter. I know, like looking back on that now as a 46-year-old woman and being a mother of four children, how could they do that to a child basically or an early adult in one of the most difficult times of her life? Two kids. Send you a letter and say, yeah, and say you're out. And, and that's not to say that I wouldn't have been welcomed back with open arms. That, I will say that. Like it's not like some religions where you're out, none of your family can talk to you, no, you know, yep. like you're being shunned by the congregation. It's not like that at all. So I will say mm. that. But still to receive that letter as a 19-year-old girl with two children saying, you're out, buddy. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty, it was pretty full on at the time and there were some hefty nightmares.
1: You mean for you? you?
2: Absolutely. It's a really, really tough period of my life. (laughs)
1: I mean, so, okay, uh, just to give a bit more colour to that, obviously your family at least was Mormon. Do you have any brothers and sisters?
2: Yes, I've got three brothers.
1: Okay, and were they older or younger? Two older and one younger. And are they still in the church or are they out?
2: Yeah, well, my mum is still in the church. My eldest brother, well, he, it's strange because he left the church. My two older brothers left the church around 18 as well. So he left the church and then only about four years ago, I, I found out that he'd started going back to church. I nearly died. I thought
0: what you're
2: out what what are you thinking but each to their own it's it's a really religion is such a deeply personal thing and yeah so he he sort of is dabbling back in there my youngest brother still goes to church but the one yeah my next brother above me he he's a heathen like me heathen and proud
1: yeah these middle children (laughs) we're all evil yeah we're all a mess
2: yeah (laughs) I am against indoctrinating the indoctrination of children into religion. That's my personal view. I I feel like religion is something that, and obviously there's going to be so many people that disagree with this, but I feel like you need to have an adult mind and be mature and ready to grasp the, the concepts. And yeah, it's something that I believe you need to be an adult before you can, you should be or choose to be for yourself indoctrinated. I don't like that. And obviously I don't hold anything against my mum that I went to church, but I don't like that children are deprived of that
1: choice. Just, mm. just they got to go to church with their parents. It seems like such a big deal, and then yeah, you can take in there. But I mean, I mean, as if, depending how extreme it is. Like, I if it's not that extreme, then it's like whatever. One hundred percent. As long as it's not changing your whole life. But the fact is, a lot of the time, it is changing a lot of your aspects. Um, That's right.
2: Religiously? Did you grow up religiously?
1: No, nah, no. Like my parents were pretty religious, and they still are. But I, I was uh, never really big on that stuff. I'm too chill yeah I, I we like but the thing is I've actually have a res- weird respect for certain elements of religion especially like uh, especially the older I get, the more I appreciate uh, the structure part of it and like the focus part of it and so it's like you th- there's so many religions which require so many hours of the week devoted towards studying them which you could argue from a purely rational perspective is like oh that's time you could have spent doing something else but the fact is a lot of the people that are doing that are driven in so many other things as well.
2: Yeah, there are so many elements of growing up in that church have shaped me and, and I mean, even the fact that used st- in that particular church, you will be required on occasion to stand up and, and give talks in front of the congregation and I love that th- their sense of family and that that's so important to them. I mean, there are a lot of good things about a lot of religions. I just don't agree with the indoctrination and the choice essentially being taken completely away from you as an individual.
1: Yeah. You know, there's a couple of big writers who are uh, from uh, Mormon people. Oh, which one? Uh, one that I love a lot, a fantasy writer, Brandon Sanderson. I don't know if you've heard of him.
2: Oh, I didn't know Brandon. I have heard of him and I've, st- I've actually got one of his books, which I've only started to read and then got sidetracked because I've been a bit hopeless with reading actually over the last, I would say eight years, which I'm rectifying now because reading has always been such a big part of my life. And I think it hasn't helped me to not be reading regularly. But yes, I
1: didn't know he was Mormon. Yeah, yeah. he's a he's an absolute beast. I've never seen him write that much in my life. He's The guy's bringing out books, like 800-page books every year or two years because he's just yeah. a machine when it comes to that. Like I, I, no one has the output he has. Because Okay, just quickly before we start on your book, I'd, one last thing is just when you did get um, – Hey, I've
2: got nowhere to be. I'm unemployed at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's true. This
2: will be a three-hour
1: <laughs> That's true. Let's go deep. We're going to find out exactly what goes on there at the Brigham Young – sort of university or whatever it is
2: yes it is you're right brigham young university
1: yeah i know i've I, I i like to know stuff about different things um i
2: think it's very interesting and and to be honest a lot of people when they find out that i'm an ex-mormon they're super interested and they want to you know, know all about it. And obviously the Book of Mormon, the musical has,
1: yeah. Even that, though the funny, when I, when I watched that, I remember being like, ah, oh, they're going to destroy it. But then you watch the musical and actually you're like, oh, actually, no, this weirdly enough, as much as it's taking the piss out of the literal translations of things, which you could do just as much with any religion, it's weirdly actually kind of justifying it in a weird way as well. like It's taking the piss but it's also kind of showing how as times change religions then update their stories and even though they might seem ridiculous to you they actually are updating it for that new audience just like they've that's always right. done. So that's why I thought it was like, oh, like it's taking the piss out of the little <laughs> translations because they are pretty ridiculous. But uh,
2: They are ridiculous. That's exactly right.
1: Everyone gets a planet.
2: <laughs> Basically fantasy, isn't it? Like that, it would read as a great fantasy story. I wonder if actually Brandon Sanderson, he should do that.
1: That'd be interesting.
2: Well, he wouldn't.
1: Obviously, because he's a Mormon. Yeah, exactly.
2: Maybe I could do that.
1: (laughs) You could. You got the insight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think my my favourite fact about the Mormons was that in 1979 they all agreed that – God had changed his mind and was willing to allow black people into <laughs> being Mormons.
2: That late, 79.
1: Seventy-nine. They agreed. They go, actually, you know what? God just told us that black people are allowed into the church.
2: I had no idea it was that recent. That is disgusting.
1: Yeah, and it was and they all said, Oh no, it's God that decided this. He changed his mind. We uh we didn't know. <laughs> it's just us talking to God and he told us. Black people are cool now. (laughs) It's just hilarious to me.
2: I can't believe that. I am so mortified that it was, I'm I'm mortified that it ever existed, but that it was that recent. Well, it's like, I'm actually, I can't remember when they uh, changed the rule on polygamy, you know, and- Have they changed the rule on polygamy? They have, because you've got regular Latter-day Saints, regular Mormons, and then you've got the break-off, which are called the fundamentalist Mormons. And they're the ones that you know, still practised me as far as I'm aware.
1: Yeah, no, so what I want to ask about that the moment thing uh, was when you got excommunicated, uh, firstly, was your old elder brother, the heretic, was he already out or was he still in at that point?
2: He, he was already out.
1: He was already out. Okay, so. Had
2: already escaped to victory,
1: yes. So you did have a support network there?
2: Oh, absolutely. And look, my mum has been supportive the whole way through. I mean, yeah, because you can imagine, I mean, that was horrendous. Having to tell her that I was pregnant. You know, I didn't, I hid it until I was five and a half months pregnant. So nobody knew. You know, I was in denial.
1: Five and a half months. Five
2: and a half months and still living at home with her <laughs> and my brothers. How dumb <laughs> are they? <laughs> they thought <didn't laughs> I'd eat their bloody blue cheese a bit too hard.
1: <laughs> was it like, was it, was it, yeah, was it showing or was it not showing?
2: No, pretty much not. Because in there, yeah, I was, like I said, I had to hide it. I was, very heavily into touch football I've played sport my whole life so I played in a touch football carnival when I was four months pregnant with Jess because I, I had no excuse oh to not play I hadn't told anyone. So everyone would have been saying, oh, what's wrong with Al? You know, why isn't she playing? And then eventually, yeah, I think I was just, I was about, well, was when I went to the doctor, he said, yeah, okay, go and get a scan. I think you're about three months, next minute, five and a half months pregnant. But so, yeah, I had been to a, a little gathering with all my touch footy team and it was a costume night and I had this sort of big hippie dress on. And my coach at the time, who I was very close to, he he sort of must have seen something and sparked up on it. And he pulled me aside and asked me if I was pregnant. And I just burst into tears. And I said, oh, my God, you know, I haven't even told my mum and blah, 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 blah. So the next day was a Sunday. And I pretended I was sick. And mum stayed home from church to, you know, just to be at home with me. And so I had the scan physically. I couldn't get the words out to tell her. So I just handed her the scan. Now, my mum is, she's an intelligent woman. She chose that one moment to be totally brain dead. So she's pulled out the the x-ray, the scan. And she's like, oh, what's this? What's this? You're choosing this one moment to not be able to figure out what the hell's going on. So I just said.
1: To be fair, I feel like there's emotional reasons why. she might Her brain might be doing that.
2: Yes, you're right. You're right. And um, and I just said, it's a baby, oh, you know, crying. And she started crying. But she could not have been more wonderful, you know, and then, of course, had to ring one of my brothers was away here, one was away there. So, ringing everyone. Wow. What was the original question.
1: <laughs> no, it's about, it's actually exactly about that, the support that you had kind of with that, even as you get excommunicated. Because it's interesting. So, for you, the excommunication was actually solely about the religion excommunicating. It wasn't actually about losing the network of no, family.
2: It was. Probably the worst was my grandmother, my mum's mum. She came across, she was very judgmental and. She was like, I knew this would happen, you know, probably because I started to maybe not turn up every Sunday. To church you know starting to go down the heathen path in her eyes yeah so she was pretty bad but obviously she came good and
1: once i had the kids and grandmas are suckers for grandchildren
2: well they're, they're great she, they're her great grandbaby so yeah she she
1: came great grand oh yes that's yes yeah, she's gonna you're fine she's gonna be a sucker <laughs> exactly. yeah these oldies give them a grandkid they did their butter exactly. <laughs> you can do whatever you want she didn't have a choice um okay so we've jumped around we kind of touched on the topic of the book we're going to do so let's let's do that and we can jump because you've picked a bloody. Fantastic choice. So go and say what your book of choice is. Well, the book is The Assassin's Apprentice, which is
2: the first of the Farseer trilogy. It's fantasy by an author called Robin Hobb. She's written about, oh, I don't know, 20 or something? Well, maybe maybe a few more than that. She's done a whole bunch of series. Uh, and actually, you love one of her series, don't you, The Liveship Traders?
1: Well, I like them all, but the one that stands out for me probably the most is there, that Liveship Traders. I love a good, when an ending ties everything off in a brilliant way clever way where you realise that there was all this stuff along the way that made it obvious and like I think that one just nailed that so much but yes.
2: Oh, she is brilliant and I guess I try like I've always loved reading as a kid I loved reading it there were a bunch of series that there used to be these ones called the serendipity books that was probably my first real book that I read as a kid and also there was one called the value tales which was basically spoke of the lives of, you know, all of these famous people like Eleanor Roosevelt, Lou Pasteur, Marie Curie, really great books on teaching kids about all the different values, understanding patience, all that sort of stuff. I love the Choose Your Own Adventure books when I was a teenager and eventually maybe Flowers in the Attic actually is what turned me to the dark side. I don't know. I did
1: read that. (laughs) I've had a guest on who that was their favourite book. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people seem to like this book. It's a very disturbing book for people to be in choice.
2: It's disturbing, but when you grew up a Mormon, it was very educational.
1: Ah, it would have been downright saucy.
2: Yeah, 100%, loved it. But, yeah, I, I've chosen Robin Hobb because I guess, well, she's been definitely been my main book obsession. And I think as well it was my ex actually that introduced me to, or one of my exes. I've got more exes than a carton of four exes. But... She, one of my exes, he he said, look, you should read this book. I'm really loving her. And at first I sort of thought, oh, I'm not interested in fantasy. I won't like it. You know, I totally wrote it off because I just sort of thought, oh, well, it's just sort of more for kids and, I don't know, pixies and angels and all that sort of stuff. No offence to those that love pixies and angels. They have their place. But, yeah, I...
1: I I'm restraining myself right now because you're a guest. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's all right. It took me by surprise how much I loved the story and and I just became completely obsessed with her writing. Yeah, that's why I've chosen her because it's
1: just... It's it's legit. I think she's a really distinct voice and what she writes is quite different to a lot of the stuff out there. So I remember when I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is like, even though I was probably fully appreciate it, cause it was years ago, but I was like, this is really interesting. Yeah, really well written. So just to give a quick, super brief summary, because it's obviously the whole series goes on lots of different directions, but essentially the basic idea is you've got a uh, bastard-born boy who gets ditched at the castle where it's set in like a medieval-style world. Um, that's fantasy. A bastard-born boy gets ditched at the castle where his dad, who had him out of wedlock, the, guy, the dad's named Chivalry, because he's meant to be the most upright citizen so because he's such an upright citizen he he's he's meant to be next in line for the king but he stops and then his brother comes in and then the son this bastard boy son eventually gets trained as like a squire eventually it turns out that he's good at being an assassin and the story's got like it's very politically complex in terms of it is about countries against each other and stuff like that in this whole fantasy world which is another cool feature of it because it's like very much on that political side and yeah and then he just has his impact
2: You're doing so, I'm so glad you are explaining this because you're doing such a better job than what I would. (laughs) You've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed it. And, And obviously, yeah, there's a lot, there's so much to it, isn't there? Like he's got this, I guess, superpower or special power as you might call it, called the skill. It's so interesting, isn't it? It's almost like you can, well, you can read the mind, you can teleport yourself into another space, can't you? And watch what's going on and spy and but that's kind of like destructive physically to to the person, and it's almost like an addiction. And I don't know. It's she's just amazing.
1: No, definitely, and, and yeah, actually, that, that's the other part of that because that's cool. We can also bond with animals as well, right? That was the other part. Yes, you
2: that's right.
1: Bonds with animals. The wit, wit. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. I was
2: going to say the first word that came into my head was bestiality, but it's not that at all. <laughs>
1: That's more, that's more flowers in the attic sort of thing. <laughs> That's right. No, no, so, so, like, I guess, and again, the series goes on, there's, like, it gets crazier and crazier, like, just in terms of, like, the depth, there's dragons, there's old a- ancient races that have been interacted with and timber and it's a very good ra- book. I love the series. But I guess um, I, was, I was trying to go over it and trying to think of, like, connection points. Like, I guess what about her writing and about this story, I might as well ask first, is why do you think you liked it so much?
2: Well, it's a classic, that particular character fits his name. He is just the classic underdog. The poor literal bastard is just up against it from the word go. And despite the fact that he has all these amazing talents and skills and yeah, I mean, it's just, he keeps getting kicked again and again. And it's like, he basically saves the world, but you know, like gets no credit for it. And it's all in the done sort of stealthily isn't it and I think it reflects reality quite well even though it's fantasy it's just like life you can have someone who is really capable and and has so much going for them but unfortunately life just sometimes does keep kicking you and keep kicking you and you just got to keep getting up again and again and and do your best, you know, own your flaws, admit your shit and get on with it and try not to be a total soul along the way to everyone else. I don't know.
1: That is definitely one of the first things I would have thought looking at it like, so, and obviously you can feel like that maybe relates to elements of your life that you look back on.
2: As you said, it's intelligent writing too. Like it's it's really um, incorporating a lot of big concepts and I love that I love back in the medieval. That's that kind of that realm and
1: the hierarchy and. It is. It's cool. How? Uh, when did you first read this? How old were you?
2: Mid twenties to thirty. Mid twenties. Okay, yeah.
1: so around that time. So that's the first kids uh growing up. Were you still married? Uh, were you still with the guy at that point?
2: No. So I was with uh, Jesse and Jake's dad for four years. Like I said, we were babies. We were just mates, and and you know. But um, yes. Then I got back together with my original, with my first boyfriend at high school. So
1: really kept it in the loop there.
2: <laughs> yeah. So he is the one that put me onto the fantasy books, onto Robin Hobbs. So I, for that, I am forever grateful. When I recruit a partner, I just think, who will make? What will they be like as my ex? Because I just presume that's going to happen <laughs> down the track. I'm a realist. I'm a realist.
1: That's a positive start to any relationship. Yeah. That's right. Will they be a dick as an ex? Yeah. yeah.
2: That's right. That's right. I work from I work from the end, and you
1: know. Uh, that's okay. I guess that's kind of beautiful in a way. Actually, weirdly enough, that could tie in a little bit because um, one of the things I, I was remembering about the book and something which struck me as well and made it really distinct. It's one of the few times I've read something where um, not only does does he not get the credit he deserves for the work he does. But the book really is about plans not finished, plans getting ruined, half growth, heart, like as in even his ability, which is meant to be this super ability, like it kind of doesn't get to where it's meant to because it gets cut off because he overexerts himself. So most movies or something, the character will do that, but then they'll come back better than ever and they'll be super powerful. But That's in this right. case, there is this case where like there's a constant undercutting at the knees, just like... Like I was wondering whether that related to something where it's like in real life you don't get to have the full flowering of every ability or whatever. A lot of the time it does get cut off and, yeah, it's almost you're now stunted. Yeah, and it's like that's just the way it is and, like, that's not bad. That's just how life is.
2: Exactly. Two steps forward, one, you know, three steps back sometimes. It's just, yeah, you're right. It is. It's frustrating. Life is frustrating. You know, I'm really frustrated at the moment because I'm, as you said, i Worked in Hobart uh, for the last three years in my dream job, which was which was Triple M Brecky radio announcing. And now I'm I'm out of work and I'm just so hanging to to get another opportunity. But it's it's really difficult. I mean, so many announcers have just been laid off, and so there's so many more of us in the pot now, hoping to get those elusive. Yeah. yeah. My former co-host, he had been on air for 23 years. You get there, you're so excited, and that's a bit like Fitz in Robin Hobb. In The Assassin's Apprentice, he, he's just about there. He gets there and then it's like something gets taken back from him and you just got to suck it up, don't you? What else can you do? You know, punch a pillow in your room, have a scream, do something. But ultimately you just got to get on with it and suck it up because also, and maybe that's why I liked reading about fit, someone's always worse off than you. So shut your pie hole <laughs> and stop freaking whinging. Because there's always someone far worse off than you. Get over yourself.
1: So do you think that's an attitude you kind of have? You when you feel down, you're like oh, some other people have got a lot worse than I do.
2: Yeah, and don't worry. I'll I'll have my sulky moments. So I'm not trying to make out as if I've you know some kind of saint that's just like it's okay. You know, yeah. I have my moments where I'm will have a bit of a whinge to myself or whoever will be prepared to listen at the time. Thanks for listening today, George. Today's your that's lucky right. day,
1: and all my listeners. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's right. But yeah, you do, you do just, and I'm sure we're all the same. You know, you just you need to have a chat to one of your friends, one of your trusted people, when you're having a bit of a low moment, and then just suck it up and get on with it. Go and eat a peppermint arrow or something, make yourself feel better, put on another two kgs.
1: Yeah, just really own that fat fleet title. Yeah, don't worry. So I couldn't say it again. All right, once is (laughs) enough. You only gave (laughs) me past to say it once.
2: No, hey. I am someone who you do the crime, you do the time. You know how a lot of people, a lot of people say to me, because I am about 20 kilos heavier than what I was back when I was playing at a decent level of touch. And it's like, ah, oh, but you know, you've had four kids and all the rest of it. Yes, of course. And you're getting older. I, yes, I agree. But for me personally, it's because I've eaten about 568 kilos of hollandaise over the years and 2000 mockers. So it's got nothing to do with my, I can't blame my kids or my age. It's my indulgence and laziness. So there you go. And you
1: know, I own that shit.
2: <laughs> yes, and I've loved every second of that. Don't you worry about that. But it's time. It's time, George.
1: Time to ease up a little bit, I guess. Ah, whatever. Oh, dang you. What you? I thought that's what you meant. That's what you were saying. It is, it is what I meant. I'm so nervous now. You've got me stressing out.
2: <laughs> well, as I said to you, I've been roped into playing in a touch football carnival in two months' time. I can tell you right now, I've got some work to do.
1: I can imagine. I guess uh, to try to, again, the idea of this all is just finding connections wherever you can with whatever. So you, you at that point of 25 to 30, when you were reading this, you, what were you doing in your life at that point? Were you in radio?
2: No, no, not at all. I only, I got into radio quite late, but. Yeah, I guess for me, and maybe why I really did love fantasy books is—is is it was such a such an escape. I really, yeah. I, and I think I mentally needed it. I really think I I did at that time because, as I said, I mean, I had a lot going on. I mean, I had I was being excommunicated. I and I did full disclosure. I did probably around my mid-20s, a little bit later. I went back to church probably for, oh, maybe only a month or so. And I just thought, no, I don't believe in it. It's not for me. And, but yeah, you know, so you've got all of those years of, of stuff going on within your, within your mind. I remember calling my ex at one, well, he was my current at the time we were living in Sydney and he was away for work. And I had this nightmare where I actually dreamt of my, of me going to hell. You know, I was in at the basically talking to god. And yeah, it was really weird cuz I won't give you the full things of the dream, but at the at the sort of the crux of the dream was I'm here in this massive cavernous dark nothingness and god's talking to me and and he said, so I don't know this will be good actually, maybe one of your listeners can tell me what this means. But he said, "Do you know your men?" in this big booming voice. And I said, "No." and immediately drop to hell and then wake up in like a lather of sweat. Isn't that horrific? And I had to ring my partner at the time at like 3.30 in the morning and I was beside myself bawling my eyes out and it took him ages to console me. I just couldn't, oh, it was just horrific. So, yeah, I had all this stuff going on. I think that reading really was a massive therapy for me.
1: Just a chance to escape... Get out of your head,
2: and and I guess kudos to Robin Hobb the fact that she could grab me and 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 give me that. I just loved it, and it was that genuine escape. And I'm sure that a lot of people use fantasy for that.
1: Oh no, yeah, no, it's definitely something I used to quite enjoy. Although I don't even know what it was. I was just like escaping for no reason, just escaping. But definitely for what you're saying there. Well, so at that point you were like your kids would have been six or seven, five or six, whatever. Weirdly enough, I, it's something I've got a theory about I've developed from seeing a lot of friends now having kids and family and stuff. The first five years of kids' life, basically, the parent is stuck there and they're not going to think about much because they can't do anything. Like, you are a prisoner to this kid. Your life is 24-7, that kid, and that's it. But as soon as they, like, you get about the five-year age... I feel like that's all of a sudden when parents take a step back and breathe for the first time where, like, for good or for bad, like they're just so stressed and constantly engaging the kid they don't have time to think about anything outside of that um, just because I've seen it happen yeah. a few times. So it's just funny you're saying that when the kids were about that age you were all of a sudden maybe being like, what's going on? What am I doing?
2: Yeah, exactly. And my partner at the time, he started to dabble in religion a little bit. So that probably kind of and we we separated not long after that but then yeah it was a little bit after that that I sort of thought oh yeah how do I feel do I believe in it and started going back for a little bit but yeah I saw the light hallelujah brother once bitten twice shy you want to cast me out of your religion I'm never coming back showed them didn't I they were, we're secretly there all the church going oh thank god she's moved on <laughs> poisoning our
1: children you're like yeah fuck you guys you yeah. thought you had me. That's like, well, you came back here. You're trying to help yourself. We're here to help. You're like, ah, you're not going to get this guy, you
2: idiots. They're like, I never like the cheap white bread they use for sacrament anyway. You know, give us some kind of nice
1: sourdough. Oh, see, now it just sounds. It's starting to sound more and more like they kicked you out.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for, that's right. For your complaining. I think maybe I just felt like I. Maybe I went back because I felt like I wanted to have the final say. No, no. I dumped you, other way around. Yes.
1: That's what it is. Yeah, we're settling on that as the <laughs> definite answer.
2: That's right. It's you, not me. Move on.
1: Yeah, and it's my choice. Yeah,
2: that's
1: right. <laughs> so, and so so as since then, though, you haven't had that kind of inclination again? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah.
2: Look, I, I think I'm a spiritual person and maybe that's because I grew up in that way. I believe in something, don't know what. I, basically, I believe in being a good person. Be kind, be inclusive, love each other except that we've all got shit going down that we don't know about yeah and just try and be a good person and clearly oversharing is caring
1: <laughs> look it's fine it's a, that's what this show is all about so, so i don't know if you're doing this to the guys when you buy groceries or something but yeah. <laughs> if you're at woolies being like hey so i was a mormon <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> but,
2: everyone's like come on
1: so i guess it just out of curiosity again just for the time frame and see if this relates in some way but uh so that that late 20s uh 25 to 30 range is that did was there any decisions made there? Did you change what you were doing in your life? Was it like because it seems like you hit that point, you would look gone back to church, but then you gave stopped that and you haven't looked back since. So I'm wondering if that period involved any other changes in general?
2: Like I said, I had it was through the time when, yeah, I and obviously like well, Robin Hobb, she I think she started writing that series in about 95, and the last book was 2017. And she'd written other ones in between. But yes, definitely.
1: You've you've been like enjoying every book as it comes out for the last 20 years.
2: Well, no, because she'd written, I I think she'd actually written a lot before, trying to think now, before I really had started reading. Maybe it was after Paul and I separated, I don't know.
1: I'm looking it up. The first book came out in 1995.
2: Was it 95? Yeah. Maybe it was a bit later. Maybe it was early 2000s, like about 2004 when I started reading her. So maybe there were quite a few out because I feel like there was. So yeah, look she's definitely seen me through a couple of separations and and hefty like my yeah I had the father of my first two kids we were together for four years my other significant relationship before my husband uh, that was like a thirteen year saga on and off long distance all the rest of it yeah I, and obviously going back and seeing whether I did want to get back into religion which I didn't when I when I met my now husband, full disclosure we're separated but when I met my now husband, love him to death, one of the best humans ever on the planet. I was, I just, yeah, I really felt like he was very different to anyone I'd met before. Embarrassingly, he was also a halfback. So were my other two exes, actually. Halfback? <laughs> yeah.
1: So there's a certain body shape at least that you like. Honestly, I feel like I'm going to need therapy after this. <laughs> that's hilarious oh. you do know what you like and you stick to
2: it. <laughs> I can't even speak about that. He was someone that was very encouraging of me because yeah i I started having kids when I was eighteen unexpectedly, so I didn't go to uni i didn't I hadn't had a career i'd mainly been a mum I'd done you know sales jobs here and there, but I'd never really had the career that I'd wanted to have, so my husband was very encouraging of me to pursue that. So I started doing stand-up comedy. I started, you know, writing and then started doing community radio. I thrive on creativity. So I'm someone that needs to do that. And he was really encouraging of that. And yeah, luckily enough, after doing community radio for about 18 months, I landed that gig in Hobart on Triple M Brecci, and then lived three years away from my family, which is the way that all panned out. They, um, originally were meant to move down six months after I did because I wanted to sort of give it a crack first, see if I was any good. I thought, oh my God, I might get down there and get found out and they just go, oh, move on lady. Uh, yeah. So, but due to my husband's work and circumstances up here, they, they couldn't move down. So I did three years living apart from my husband and two kids, which was really tough. Wow. Yeah. It's Well, and also it's the first time I'd ever lived on my own because I obviously had the kids, my first two kids, when I was still living at home with my mum and brothers. So
1: that's that, it seems like a like I love it because it's like it seems like a later stage where you've gone and done the things which other people did when they were nineteen or twenty. You've kind of done things almost in reverse.
2: I really I have. It is the way it panned out. And it wasn't it wasn't our intention, like I said. And and I think Steve, my husband, he I think he regrets not moving straight away in that first year he didn't really have a choice like I said with his work it was just circumstances but I really wish that that they had have had that opportunity to sort of move away from our regular life up here and what we'd always known and have that adventure so yeah that would have been wonderful to have been able to do that and it's not the way that it that it turned out which is okay that's life it was almost like because you've got to throw yourself into a job like radio especially when you're in a town like Hobart that are really quite parochial and you have to prove that you deserve their... Attention. Yes, exactly. So I threw myself into life down there and played my first season of AFL and I played a couple of seasons of cricket and I was in two musicals, We Will Rock You and My Fair Lady, and I embraced that city and I loved it so much and it just has such a special place in my heart. But, yeah, because I was there living on my own, it's like I was kind of doing maybe what I would have done in my 20s but never had the opportunity to do.
1: Yeah, that's really nice in that sense.
2: Yeah, I'll always appreciate the fact that I had that opportunity, even if I never work in radio again, which hopefully I will.
1: That's a, That's really nice. And I like the fact that, uh, yeah, just because it's a bit later and it's past when other people do it, you still can do that stuff and you can still enjoy that. Yeah. And also tried lots of new stuff. It sounds like you got no fear of uh, failure or anything like that. I
2: probably should. When I start doing it, <laughs> people are like, oh my God, get her off the field. She's got no idea. <laughs> I don't know how many ducks I got in cricket. Really? Yes. So embarrassing. Finally, I got 24. Not out? No, maybe I was out. The very first over I bowled, unbelievably, probably because they had no idea what the hell I was bowling, neither did I. It's a cross between a Chinaman and a Low pace, no pace. Huh? I got, and here you go, I'm having a brag, two for three off one. I don't know if you follow cricket, but, yes, that was my very first over, two for three off one. I should have left it there. <laughs> I never did two for three off one. Again.
1: Never again. Yeah, look, that's beginner's like and it does sound like it would have been the method you were doing. It was, uh, yeah.
2: Well, I had three brothers, George, so you can't grow up, you know, I grew up in Brisbane with three brothers playing backyard cricket every Afternoon slash weekend slash school holidays, and then I wasn't allowed to play for club or school. How wrong is that?
1: Is that because you were pregnant?
2: <laughs> Probably. Thank you, George. <laughs> hey, no, because I was a funny girl, and they wouldn't let us play. <laughs> How wrong is that? How good is that now that yeah, women that's can crazy. play? So yes, I never got to play when I was a kid, and it's it would have been the one sport that I would have loved more than anything. So I got to play in my forties. For the very first time, two seasons of cricket.
1: I love that. You miss out it then, you do it later, it's all right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. See, this actually does weirdly tie into the book about, you know, like failure and loss and stuff and how you can still do something afterwards. It might not be perfect, you might not have the youth, but you can still do it and it's still okay, whatever it is.
2: Exactly. Maybe that's why I'm reading fits again. Now, I've just started again. I'm going to start the whole ah, series over again. So, yes, hopefully I'll get some insight as to how I can turn this situation around, get another job.
1: Yeah, learn how to speak to animals or something. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you feel like during this whole process, you maybe have learnt a new appreciation for your connection to Robin Hobb in some way?
2: Absolutely. And I've got you to thank for that. Yes, for sure. We clearly don't delve into why we do things enough, do we? But
1: yeah,
2: 100%. And I, yeah, I really do believe that first and foremost, she is a brilliant writer. So, as I said, I really highly recommend her to everyone because I, I for one, was someone that I never, ever would have imagined that I would be so into fantasy. But, yeah, I really think that it was so therapeutic for me at that time. I really needed her. Love you, Robin, and love you, George. Ah. That little... Uh, so, and my apologies to anyone that needs to go and seek medical attention after... <laughs> listening to this,
1: sorry. It's all right. That's what this oh, show's about.
2: God, I'm
1: so <laughs> Okay, well, thanks very much for that. I'll call it up there. You've been really fun. Cheers, Alison.
2: Uh, thanks, George. So have you.
1: Thanks. <laughs>